Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Why is Kentucky such a hot spot for paranormal activity? Can you develop a friendship with Bigfoot? And what's the best way to help victims of the recent tornado outbreak in Kentucky and surrounding states? Hello, and welcome to the 925th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno, coming to you from WOON, AM, and FM Radio here in Winsocket, Rhode Island, on the Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live, on YouTube, and via TuneIn.com. I'm Ben, and those bluegrass-themed questions came from my co-host, partner in Paranormal Adventures, and dad, Paul. And today, we bring you two new friends with paranormal experiences in that region. Josh Rutledge and Stefan Gearhart are paranormal adventurers, broadcasters, and co-owners of the Fearscape Paranormal Podcast, and we'll let them fill in the blanks. Josh, tell us a little about yourself. Yeah, so um, I've lived in Kentucky my entire life, and um, which you know, all 43 years of it, not that much. But um, <clears throat> and I've had a lot of the strange experiences. But back in high school, I met this big guy next to me. Uh, we've been really good friends, best friends ever since. Decided to uh, do a podcast together. I thought you were talking about crazy. Bigfoot. There, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I shaved though. Yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> Unlike yeah, me, used to be a lot hairier. Yeah. So, Stefan, tell us about you. Yeah, I, I grew up uh, on Lake Erie in Toledo, Ohio for a long time, getting my Michigan and Ohio Bigfoot experiences, but moved, like Josh said, to Kentucky in high school. That's where we became friends and immediately found out we loved Star Trek and UFOs and all things kind of weird. And all these years later, here we are, still looking at the skies, man. Outstanding. <laughs> wondering. Oh, okay, Ben, take it away. Indeed. So I guess we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll just hop right into it. So, Josh, you're based in Kentucky and... And you know, and Stephen, you're from Ohio. I know you guys already, you know, you kind of jumped into into how how you two kind of met up. But mm-hmm. how did you team up with paranormal work? How did that kind of get started? Besides, you know, base interest. Yeah, the gory details. Exactly. The gory details. Yeah. So I I started a show, uh, a radio program called Fearscape FM a couple years ago. Uh, 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 I do improv comedy as well, and a uh, improviser friend of mine. He was also into the paranormal. Uh, we started uh, that program, and uh, he uh, decided to. Uh, take some personal time and kind of go off and do his own thing. And uh, Josh, whose friend and avid listener, was like, hey, you know, we always used to talk about this stuff. You know, could I come on and uh, talk about paranormal stuff like we used to back in the day? Uh, and immediately I was like, how about you become my new co-host for Fearscape Paranormal Podcast? And so because uh, I knew after being friends as long as we were, we'd have a great dynamic, and we have. Uh, and Josh and I, man, we just dig into everything we can paranormal on Fearscape, and it is a blast. It is. Uh, I've been on the show. It's great. Okay, so before we proceed, because uh, the whole country is caught up in, in the terrible things that have happened yeah. <clears throat> um, in, in the Kentucky and the surrounding states. Yeah, geez. And you have a, a charity you can sing. Well, first of all, were you affected at all, Josh? I was not. Uh, I mean, we lost power for a day, but not nearly the, the devastation that uh, reached the, the rest of uh, Kentucky, kind of lower, since, you know, below Cincinnati, between Cincinnati and Lexington. Um, I mean, just the, the devastation is just horrific. Um, like 75%, 85% of certain towns down there are, are completely gone. Wow. Um, so. Yeah, I had a number of friends affected because uh, we have we both have friends all over the state as sure. well, and had a number of friends uh, knew uh, a good amount of people. I went to college in Bowling Green, Kentucky, which got hit really, really bad, and so had some friends affected by that. 
Yeah, okay, well, we're certainly praying for them. And you have a, a charity you can suggest yeah. uh, for the we, folks. We're very uh, caught up in uh, the Governor's Bashir's project that he put together, the Team Western Kentucky Tornado Relief Fund, which is at teamwkyreliefund.ky.gov. All of that money goes directly to help those affected. None of it gets taken for advertising or anything like that. 100% of the money goes to help the affected. Outstanding. Uh, and we're going to be putting a, um, a link on our uh, Behind the Paranormal website uh, for that, and, and we're going to keep that on our charity page as well. And Thank we you. like to hear that, you know, we really vet the charities that we endorse to make sure that they're what you described. So mm-hmm. uh, we'll be doing that um, uh, today. So uh, getting back to the paranormal, uh, what is the weirdest case in Kentucky that you ever dealt with? Uh, the, well, that we've, I guess, looked into, um, <laughs> the, uh, the Hopkinsville goblins. Uh, goblins. Oh, yeah. <laughs> really takes the cake. So. I mean, that is essentially where we get our terminology for the green man, right. uh, the green man, like, you know, comes from this Hopkinsville Kelly goblins story of like little green men, th- them being little, everything. This comes from this case. Oh yeah, and, and that's uh, 1955. I was a 55, and uh, Geraldine Sutton Stith has been a guest on the show many times. Great friend of ours, and her family was involved in that. But can mm-hmm. you give us the background? Yeah, so um, basically, in a, in, a, in a little town just outside of Hopkinsville, Kelly, Kentucky, um, uh, some little green goblin guys decided to attack a farmhouse. Um, and uh, the owners and, and residents of the farmhouse fought them off with uh, shotguns and rifles. And the bullets clinged off of them and made a metallic sound when they hit sometimes. And they didn't really seem to affect or wound the creatures in any way. Yeah, these things glowed. They were shiny. Uh. Um, they were like, if you could imagine uh, 1984's Gremlins movies mixed with our traditional greys. If you mix them together into one creature, that's essentially what I feel like the the, the Hopkinsville Goblins look oh, like. Gee, they have these big, thought. giant ears, you know. like. Yeah. <laughs> And I understand there was there was a UFO or more than one seen uh, in the same vicinity at the same time. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I think there was even reports of a crash or a landing. Yeah, your audio is kind of going out there, Josh. Uh, yeah, there was there was even like a like a reports of like a crash that happened nearby, some things like that as well. Um, and we even found some interesting correlation. There's two other sightings that happened. One happened the same day. Uh, one happened right soon. That is, uh, I think we figured it was like 30 miles north up in Evansville, Indiana, right along the river. You had the clawed beast of the Ohio, which this woman was swimming, and she had a creature that she saw, and it grabbed her. It looked exactly like how they described the creatures in, in Hopkinsville. It happened the same day, so they didn't really? even know that it happened. Yeah. I didn't know that. And then, yeah, and up the river, up in Cincinnati, around, I think it was the same week, was the sightings of the Loveland Frogs, which was the Frogmen, which, again, described the exact same things. And this is not social media day, so you know this. News didn't travel that fast yet. And these all happened within the same amount of time. Uh, and so there's a theory that Josh and I have correlated that it's possible with the cave systems and things like that. Some of the, the soot and stuff that they found on the woman and the clawed beast of the Ohio is dirt and mud only found within cave systems. So, Oh, my goodness. Well, well, it, it goes to prove uh, our contention and yours, too, I know, because we've talked about this, 
that uh, a number of phenomena can go on in the same area and, and, and be related. You know, these things mm-hmm. don't stand in isolation. So uh, I, can you tell us more about that Loveland frog? I know that's pretty much Ohio, but <laughs> it's, it's all really when it, when it To me, when it's on the Ohio River, it, it gets both states. So this gets Ohio and Kentucky, whereas the Claude Beast gets uh, Indiana and Kentucky. Okay. So, They're territorial that way, huh? Yeah. <laughs> well, so the Loveland frogs are really interesting. Um, yeah, you, you're, your your audio was really uh, pretty bad there, Josh. Now we can adjust. So uh, the there Loveland frog is is really interesting. Um, the uh, uh, a patrol officer was out uh, doing a round and um, came across, and his headlight beams caught. These two, what he described as frog-like beings walking upright across the road. Um, and they just kind of, they, they walked across the road, they paused, they looked at him, and they just kept walking. They walked to the other side of the road and disappeared into the brush. He said, I'm walking here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, uh, these are probably folks you knew, uh, you know or knew, uh, because one is, is not with us, but, uh, Steve Asher was on the show, uh, in November of 2018. If anybody wants to listen to it, it's show number 766. And we talked about, um, a sort of Kentucky triangle. Now, our contention is that, that triangles are research tools. <laughs> Things aren't necessarily limited to that shape or or area, uh, and the same thing with flap areas. Is there a Kentucky Triangle that you would say, particularly around the Panther Rock area in eastern Kentucky? <laughs> well, I would because when I was in college, we had discovered um, uh, where a friend of ours, Santosh, that does our YouTube show, uh, Astral Stew, about we – we went to a, a university called Campbellsville University, and there they had the geographical center of Kentucky um, and came to find out that there were two other geographical centers of Kentucky, depending on how you did the math. And uh, we had always just looked at Campbellsville in the central Kentucky area as extremely high strangeness happening, and then we kind of figured out where the other two geographical centers of Kentucky were, and of course they formed this amazing triangle. And uh, through our own fun research, we kind of noticed a lot of paranormal activity taking place, including uh, what what happened in 1976, the Stanford abduction with the three women uh, that took place. A lot of that happened. So central Kentucky gets hit quite a bit with some paranormal activity. Yeah, could you tell us about that case? Yeah, absolutely, uh, Josh. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, so three women were uh, went to uh, dinner um, in Lancaster, Kentucky, um, at a restaurant uh, for one of their's birthday, and they were headed back around eleven fifteen. Uh, they they said it would be like a thirty five minute drive or so, or forty five minute drive, and um, they were going down the road, and they saw a craft in the sky. It was like a big burning, glowing light. Um, and they kind of slowed down to, to inspect it, but then they decided to move on. It it shined a blue light into the back of their vehicle, uh, actually made their car accelerate to 85 miles an hour, even though the driver took her feet off the pedal. Um, and then they woke up uh, like an hour and 15 minutes later, eight miles up the road um, with you know time loss and didn't really know how they had gotten there. Uh, they they did do you know polygraph test and everything was good there. Uh, they did hypnosis and recovered a lot of kind of memories of what they remember happening. 
Yeah, they said that they had extreme headaches and their eyes were burning. Uh, one interesting thing to me, they noticed that there was a flashing yellow light on the underbelly uh, of this thing. Uh, so we always made the joke, at least somebody in Kentucky knew how to use their blinker. So <laughs> Okay. Well, so uh, you already <laughs> answered question number one from um, our uh, Peter Shelley in uh, Bogota, Colombia, who is a uh, very, very uh, good questioner of the show every week, and he's also a special guest co-host with us now and then. So you've answered, that's Stanford, Kentucky, 1976, mm-hmm. three women. Here's number two, Ben, if you would, please. Indeed. Uh, so Peter goes on to ask, uh, have you attempted to interview Mona Stafford, uh, the only one of the three women I understand is still alive? So uh, to, to answer that, she's a very, very private woman, um, have not reached out in a long time, though we had, uh, again, our friend Santosh, he um, directs plays from time to time, and there is a play called High Strangeness that is about the uh, the three women, uh, and it's very popular, surprise, in Kentucky, and so he was able to interview um, her uh, a little bit to kind of go over that, but again, she's a very, very private person. Their lives were uprooted by this. One of the women moved to Las Vegas because because she was so sick and tired of it that she's like, well, I'm going to go somewhere where I know I'll be accepted. And she moved her entire life there. Um, so, no, yeah, she's very difficult to kind of get in touch with because she she's not comfortable talking about it. Yeah, well, that's a very common uh, mm-hmm. situation. Okay, well, thank you uh, for answering that. Now, on uh, May 2nd, 2011, we might as well move over to Bigfoot here. Uh, <laughs> show number 238, mm-hmm. we interviewed Philip Spencer. Uh, who is no longer with us, unfortunately. But we talked about the Kentucky Wild Man. Uh, what, are, what are your Bigfoot experiences in Kentucky? Lots. There, there are lots. Kentucky is is a really phenomenal state for Bigfoot sightings, and over into West Virginia. We've got a lot of friends that do wild and weird radio over in West Virginia, and a lot of it takes place in that Appalachian area, right along the Ohio River, um, along the, um, I can't remember the name of the other river that runs there as well, um, but there are quite a bit. We Not only do you have Wild Man, but you've got the Dog Man, of uh of kentucky as well but what's interesting about the wild man the wild man there's a lot of debate on whether or not wild man is an official sasquatch sighting or if he was just a crazy large hillbilly type man because a lot of the sightings he's not very hairy in in a traditional sasquatch sense like myself apparently um he is not very hairy um but he's wild-eyed he's got the yellow eyes he's just crazy and he's he's jibber jabbing uh and some things like that but it's it, the wild man has a lot of sightings it's probably just a moonshiner that got lost in the woods i mean that's you know just been stumbling out there for days well i so. suppose we can always hope but uh phil spencer and i want to get your take on this uh, phil when he was on the show talked about uh different reactions of wildlife to the presence of what's apparently bigfoot and he talked about one case uh, in which he and a friend saw a Bigfoot. They, they were out watching at night, and it was coming across a field, and a bunch of deer were there and didn't seem to pay any attention to it. Now, on mm. another occasion, there were a bunch of deer running up a mountain in complete terror, apparently, of a Bigfoot. So, mm. uh, And that came up on the show. Nobody really knew. Why would they be afraid of Bigfoot in one case and not in the other unless they couldn't see it? What do you fellas well, say? Yeah, so one of the things that we've uh, postulated quite a bit is 
Um, are these things like Bigfoot and fairy accounts and fae and goblins and everything, are they not, and this is going to get really weird, are they not fully in our plane? Like, are they are they happening in like a parallel plane to our physical plane? And, and, on, and on chance occurrences, we can see them and interact with them, but other times they're kind of moving along un, unknowingly to other things that are interacting in the area. So, you know, in the first case, the deer may not have seen the Bigfoot. In the second case, the Bigfoot may have stepped on a branch or caused something to, to spook the deer and cause them to run away. So, yeah, I mean that's pretty much it. Ben, I'm monopolizing the dialogue here. Well, I'm 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 doing I'm doing some some light research to kind of remind myself of the epic of Gilgamesh, um, <laughs> and and the reasoning is, um, you know, there's there's something about you know not just Bigfoot. I think I think the name. Is is uh, there's a lot there's a lot of power in names, only because it gives us something to point to and say this is what it is, mm-hmm. and I think it's it's one of one of these really interesting things where if we take a step back and look at at sort of how how society understands stuff outside of it, right? How do we understand what a monster is? A monster is something that's outside of the bounds of society. And so we we look at these these creatures, we see that they interact on the fringes of, of our, our world, right? You know, however we perceive it. And it's it's fascinating to me that you can find similar stories to these sort of creatures that exist outside the bounds of of civilization. And we'll we'll say uh, order versus chaos in this case, right? So something that exists outside of it. There's sort of this idea that I find super fascinating with um, the sort of mythology behind the Sasquatch, and myth not necessarily meaning that it's it's not real or whatever. Mythology in this case would be a story that we participate in. So the story in which you know Sasquatch participates in is he's this the the keeper of the game, depending on which tribe you talk to, or it's this sort of creature that lives in the woods that terrorizes people, or it's this sort of wise bestial thing that exists, which makes me think of Enkidu uh, from the Epic of Gilgamesh. Right? Yeah, very much so. Right. So you you see it not not just there. You see it in Nepal. You see it even even in these sort of legends of these sort of wild men living in the woods or these witches that exist in the woods, where these they're these wise creatures that possess some sort of knowledge. But the question is, where does the knowledge come from? How do they get this wisdom? And I would I would suggest that there's sort of instead of there being you know all right yeah so there are we'll we'll go from the point of view of the multiverse right so there's multiple worlds in which you know all these things exist whatever and, and blend and whatnot but there's also a symbolic understanding because we as humans we we perceive reality in in well we interpret reality in four different ways we interpret it with music we interpret it uh, with art, we interpret it with language, and through ritual. And those are the four ways that we sort of interact and order reality. So through this, we have our language, our culture, around these sort of, these these monsters, for lack of better words, because that's essentially what they are. They exist outside of society. And how we interact with these things, obviously it's terrifying, right? You know, it could be terrifying, it could be enlightening. I think it depends on how you look at it. And My how, encounter was sacred. Right, and that's interesting that you use the word sacred because you're participating in a story with 
Bigfoot or Sasquatch or whatever, right? So now we have this sort of idea of, you know, this sort of wise thing that lives in the woods, but where does it, where does it get its wisdom from and why do we have the interactions that we do with it? And I think the answer lies in the human experience. Well, you know, it's interesting that you talk about how we interact with reality. I was recently reading a book. uh, I don't recall the name of it, but they were talking about how, you know, humans have uh, three, uh, I don't remember what they're called, but receptacles in the, in the, in the eye that allows us to see and, in, and, and interact with reality. Mm. Butterflies have four. Um, and because of that, for every color we see, a butterfly sees 10,000 additional variations of that color. So, um, imagine that, you know, we paint the reality of what we see by how we interact with it, but the rest of the world does not interact the same way. And so, you know, in, in all of nature, and in, in, in dogs see the world differently. You know, there are octopuses that see the world differently. So there may very well be things that interact in reality, a, a reality that is still true, but outside of our known reality, because we don't contain or have the physical abilities to interact with or see that additional reality. Right. Um, yeah, no, I 100% agree. It's it's in, it's really interesting because all of reality is entirely beholden to the human experience, which is horrible. Because <laughs> we really we really don't have much going for us. It's because you know we have there's an objective reality that we we subjectively see right, and it's right. We, we interpret it entirely through our experience, which is why I always have the the. Um, we always have this talk with 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 any of any of our guests about ufology when it inevitably comes to the subject of disclosure comes to it every time and the the first thing they say is oh yeah it's coming blah 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 and then first thing my dad says is uh, you're telling it better Ben okay well the first I, w- I was hoping that you'd jump in on it uh, is when's the last time you trusted anything the government said and <laughs> Right. <laughs> and it's it's true because you don't, and so it all comes down to how we interpret the experience, which right. is, and really the the experience is the teacher in and of itself. So that being said, with the experience that you two have both had, what is it that you've interpreted? Um, well, that's a very deep question. Um, Twenty five words so- or less. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <He's kidding. laughs> um, so for me, um, uh, we were just talking about it the other night. We were out uh, in the desert. Um, I've got a Psionics uh, Aurora Pro, and we were out looking at the stars and trying to catch UFOs. And, and we realized that um, we're not even so much interested anymore in catching a UFO on camera because even if we catch it on camera – People are going to say that CGI, it's a satellite, it's yeah. an international space station, it's an airplane. So really, what is the purpose of the experience but to shape you individually? Hmm. You, you share those things on radio shows and podcasts and things like that because you want to let people know that they're not alone. But ultimately, hmm. the experiences that you have are to shape you in your belief system um, in – perhaps expand yourself beyond the limitations of our reality. Yeah, I have to agree with that. I mean, because even for me, kind of like 
Paul, like you, my, a lot of my paranormal experiences have been very sacred uh, because I have uh, very different than Josh. I've experienced this since I have my first waking memories, whether it be um, haunting experiences, uh, creature sightings, ghosts, uh, UFOs. All of those things seem to be a part of my existence. And growing up Catholic, uh, in an odd way, I, you know, uh, that kind of helped shape it as well. Because uh, believe it or not, you know, Catholics are into some supernatural stuff, man, and they seem to be a little more open to some of that stuff. And I, I, I you know, growing up, and I just always found myself interested in that. And it has shaped my spirituality as I moved away from Catholicism and moved away from everything and began developing my own personal belief system and spirituality. Well, this paranormal stuff has it has wormed its way in and kind of helped shape that. In fact, our show Astral Stew—that's a lot of what we talk about—is the spiritual side of the paranormal. So it's interesting. Yeah, I, I couldn't have put it better myself, Stefan, because uh, that's that's my story too. You know, um, are you I'm, going I'm, to proceed, Ben? Or? I'm. I'm I'm formulating. Well, okay. we're, we're coming up on our break, and so before I yeah, before we, we, we take jump, our break. Yeah. before we jump into more existentialism, yeah, um, beyond the philosophical, yes. yeah, right. Well, now, I mean, in my before we go to a break, yeah. I just want to quickly say I feel like the problem of the paranormal isn't a scientific one, and it's it's not it, it's it's a it's it's a philosophical problem. How yeah. how we think about how we think about reality and how we understand not just reality but ourselves. You know, I think that's that's kind of where we need to start. Well, the question may remain: uh, Do butterflies, with their additional visual abilities, see us as Bigfoot? That, that's another mm, another layer. Is, yes. Anyway, uh, you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WON twelve forty AM ninety nine five FM in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley, with our great guests Stephen Gearhart and Josh Rutledge. We'll be right back. The night is alive. Join us and take a walk on the weird side when you tune in to The Kingdom of Nye, hosted by Heather Wade, the finest in late night talk. Listen live free weeknights starting at 9 p.m. Pacific time at thekingdomofnye.com, talkstreamlive.com, and the Paranormal Radio app. Want to take a ride? Local and live at 99.5 FM. Okay, and welcome back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno, WON Radio, AM and FM, and we're talking about strange things in Kentucky and uh, their philosophical implications. Well, it's, it's important to talk about, I think. Oh, absolutely. Well, as I'm always saying, we take labels that we can understand and we put them on things that we don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, that, that, that might not work. So now you fellows also investigate uh, ghostly phenomena. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. Tell us about we, some of that. We 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 do not shy away from really anything paranormal. We really want to take a a, a believer and skeptical view on everything. Um, one of the really most fun uh, ones we had together was uh, it, there's a place that I used to perform improv. There's a Shakespeare-themed uh, theater pub restaurant called The Bardstown because um, there's a little road called Bardstown Road there. And uh, it's a 150-year-old building. It's been there. Huh? In Louisville. 
in Louisville, in Louisville, Kentucky there. Sorry about that. And uh, it's quite fascinating. It's a really old building. There's a theater upstairs, downstairs, and there's a basement. And uh, I, one day I was like, hey, Doug, he's the owner there. I said, you mind if we come in and just do a ghost hunt? He's like, yes, because he's always sharing, like, images from security cams where you're seeing stuff fly off the bar. You're seeing just stuff coming down. He's seen this woman a number of times, and uh, he allowed us to investigate, gave us access to the creepy stone basement, the attic upstairs. And my goodness, Josh will tell you, that was one of his first experiences. Yeah, so that was probably my first, I guess, official um, uh, you know, haunting invest- ghost investigation and I mean, we we did catch some uh, interesting voices, um, but the the biggest thing that we had happen is we, after we kind of roamed around the different rooms and did some little EVP sessions and things, we kind of all ended up in the uh, in the upstairs theater area, and um, yeah, we we just you know Stefan was doing some solo Ouija board stuff, and we had another person that was kind of uh, psychically in tune. It was a sensing a discussion with someone. Uh, I was holding dowsing rods, and they were uh, all going all over the crate, all over the place. And we really felt like we had an experience where we helped um, uh, a spirit that was trapped there uh, cross over uh, to another plane. And, uh, yeah, that was one of my first experiences, and it was um, – I mean, it, it changed me for sure. Yeah, it was quite fascinating because the things that were happening to me on the solo Ouija board says, well, I'm just – it's moving so fast I can barely catch up with it. Uh, our friend Naoma, who's, like you said, psychically in tune, she's yelling things out that she's feeling or saying, which I'm spelling at the exact same time I'm about to say out to her and, and to Josh, which shows me just – and Josh is saying, oh, I'm feel- all of this stuff is kind of happening in this triangle of awesomeness at the same time. Yeah, so there's your tri- your triangle again, just kind of like giving each other proof of these things that are happening. It was fascinating, man. Okay, yeah, it's fascinating, but I, I don't know. We, we might uh, differ with you on, on the the wisdom of, of using battle axe techniques like Ouija boards uh, <laughs> to, to uh, make a contact. You don't know what you're talking with. What one of the uh, the issues too is uh, crossing over. Okay, now if this multiverse, this is our our point of view, and we could be all wrong. One of our points of view here on this is that with, if the multiverse theories are true. Uh, and people are seeing, you know, who were allegedly dead. We don't even believe in death. or couldn't exist if this, these theories are correct. When they're seeing a light, it's probably the uh, plasma-charged membrane of a parallel world boundary, as a physicist might say. And uh, if you send them across it, you don't know where you're sending them. You could be sending them to a hell world. You know, we're all... You know, right. So, I mean, you know, I, I usually advise anybody who's doing the medium thing not to do the medium thing, even though in my last book it sounds like I'm doing the medium thing, uh, which I didn't want to write, but I did. And but in any case, to be fair, you've I learned think, a lot since then. Well, yeah. I mean, I don't think that's what I was doing. No. And I never sent anybody into any world other than the one they were already in. Yeah, and my sister, she's she's been a professional medium for a long time as well. Um, she obviously shared a lot of the same experiences I did. We're a year and a half apart growing up. Um, and so her and I have researched and studied for a very, very long time on uh, what we believe is the right things to do there. And, yeah, and we never, mean, there, there are many different opinions. <clears throat> I'm sorry, go ahead, Josh. I was just saying, we, we never really send anyone anywhere, right? We just provide... Uh, the necessary energy, if you will, for something to use to go wherever they want to go. So it's like, you know, we called the Uber, 
they get in and they tell them where they want to go. So. Yeah, well, uh, yeah. As I say, I, I, I'd be reluctant to give directions to anybody I met in the street. Never mind <laughs> that situation. But uh, I, I don't know. It just it, it, there are varying opinions on that. Now, what about outside Kentucky? You've also worked in other states. Is that correct? Yep. So we've uh, we've gone to Westford. We went to Point Pleasant uh, oh, Point two years Pleasant. ago. Yep. And that was amazing. Um, we did. Uh, we went out to um, Cornstalk. There's a cemetery. There that's uh, has like a, a cornstalk point. Uh, we did um, uh, some ghost box sessions that have been that have been kind of uh, turned the Estes session where you put on a blindfold and you kind of take away your other senses and you're only listening to the ghost box and you're hearing what you, you know what's being said. Um, yeah, we had some great interactions there. Some some definitely some stuff that came through on those uh, ghost box sessions. Uh, we went. Yeah, we we saw we saw a UFO uh, that night over the point. Um, it it came in, um, it came in, you know, kind of moving west to east, and then turned around and changed, like just turned, changed directions and went back uh, east to west. So, mm-hmm. um, just on a dime, just turned and went back the other way. So, um, that was really interesting. Yeah. Uh, another really good one I would share, Paul, is that uh, there's a really great uh, house in Indiana uh, called the Whispers Estate, and uh, I got to go there. My wife actually uh, got that as a special surprise for me for my 40th birthday. We did an overnight. Josh, I don't think you got to make that, um, but I got to go up there, and it's a pretty haunted estate there, um, and what's interesting is is one of the rooms, uh, it's this, of course, creepy doll room. It's always a creepy doll room. Yeah, of course. And in the creepy doll room, uh, it is known that sometimes this there will be a woman that'll scratch you. She'll scratch you pretty hard. Well, surprise, I ended up with the scratches. Um, I have pictures of it as well. Uh, four scratches on either side of my neck. All of a sudden, I'm sitting there, and I just felt my neck get really, really hot on both sides, really hot. And uh, so my wife pulls up her phone and, and turns the flashlight on, and her eyes just get huge. And she's like, there's massive scratches on your neck. And then I have sensitive skin, so it, it just pop, puffed them right up. Um, that that place had a number of uh, mysterious deaths and, and crazy things like that. But the Whispers Estate was probably one of the most interactive ghost hunts yeah. I think I've ever been a part of because I got pushed all over Certainly the place. Certainly sounds I like it, yeah. Walls. I got scratched, man. I was like, no thanks, I'm done. <laughs> well, one of the questions we would like to get your take on this is, uh, at least in, in our opinion, if somebody is dead, they'd be dead. They wouldn't be doing or scratching anything. And so uh, is it possible that these were not the spirits of dead people, which physicists have told me are not possible under the laws of physics, uh, but rather someone in a parallel reality who was perfectly physical? So I've had lots of physical yeah. encounters with things that were supposed to be spirits. I mean, what, what say you? Well, you know, first of all, you get into the stone tape theory, right? It, yeah. Is this energy just being recorded? Are those things for some of the common uh, occurrences? Uh, but interesting that you mentioned that, uh, the other part, because there is supposedly a portal in the attic of the Whispers estate that, mm-hmm. you know, is constantly like an airport, someone described it as once, <laughs> yeah. of constant travelers coming in and out of there. And so there are a number of ghost hunters do believe, uh, and, and paranormal uh, adventurers believe that as well, that, yeah, uh, it is, you know, of course, you get into the more religious uh, aspects. Oh, it's going to be a demon or a djinn or, or something along those lines. But, yeah, why not just someone from an alternate? Dimension. Well, and in what say is that you know 
the idea that the dead people can't exist, I think, um, is a is a is a pairing of the energy that makes you you, uh, what often is referred to as a soul, um, and the physical body that that soul inhabits. Um, so just because your physical body dies doesn't mean that the energy that made it up goes. Is, is, is in fact, Einstein said, energy cannot be uh, deleted; it can only be repurposed. So the energy that makes you who you are, which if you want to call it a soul or a spirit, uh, it could be going to another dimensional plane of existence as well and still interacting with you. Well, dualism, the word dualism can start wars around here. Go ahead, Ben. <laughs> so that being said, um, let's, this is, this is going to sound like a dumb question, but, but follow me here. What is a body? It's a biological robot. Okay, Stefan? Uh, a meat suit. Ah, duelists. We found them. Uh-huh. <laughs> Descartes, move over. Ah, uh, yes. So that's a, it's, it's, it's a, I, I, oh, all right. I, <laughs> so let's, so let's, let's, um, so the body doesn't matter, right? Doesn't matter. It's just a, just a meat suit. Who cares? Right. So the only thing that matters is, you know, um, well, matter doesn't matter, right? Is that the, is that the, uh, is that the, that's, that's a t-shirt, that's a t-shirt idea if I ever Yeah, well, well, it is, it is now, but I'm, I, but let's, 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 uh, let's, let's play, let's play a fun little game that Rene Descartes always really liked, if you've ever re- read anything by him. The Cartesian method was both brilliant, but also stupid. It was, um, basically, you, you lay out a hyperbole, and then you do your best to disprove it, right? That's where he got the whole idea of je pense don je suis, I think, therefore I am. Um, which I would argue is just a complete misunderstanding of how thoughts work, personally. Um, but that's that's neither here nor there. That's a completely different discussion for a different day. So let's let's start off with... Um, so let's let's go let's go with bodies. Let's take a step back. Let's pretend that we're not influenced by the by the Enlightenment. Let's pretend that we're not influenced by Nietzsche or, or Rene Descartes. So how one interacts with the world around us, right? You know, I could take this 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 coffee I have here and just toss it, and we could say, well, it doesn't really matter because it's a physical thing, right? Who cares? Or I could pour it all over this console. Which, if our station manager is listening, I would never do that. Um, it, it would, it would, you know, just destroy everything and who cares, right? Because, you know, you know, this abstract voice that's coming out over speakers right now, or if you happen to be watching the stream right now, well, it doesn't really matter because it's matter and matter doesn't matter. I would argue that it does because if it is a spirit, how can it do physical things, right? One of the, one of my, my favorite things is, um, I, I remember seeing this a couple of times where people would pour flour on the floor and they'd see footprints, Okay, well, if it's a spirit, how would it have footprints? You know, why would it do physical things? Why would it interact with the world around us? If it's if it's if it's not material, then who cares? You know, you could argue that you know, okay, yeah, well, energy, you know, it's energies, it's an energy, right? Energy interacts with other energies, but then if that's the case, then there would be an energy of a table. It would be a physical thing. It's 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 interacting with the world around it. The definition of body that I've understood over the years is it is a it is a nexus of potentialities. It is it is a it, it could do many things, right? You know, the ancient world viewed bodies as um, you know the it, it gives something gives you the power to do something. Eyes are not just the squishy balls of circles in your head 
They are the power through which you see. Faces are the power through which you have communication. These these things ex- exist in a way that we have the ability to interact and order the reality around us, right? So we have the yep. power with which to, to communicate with one another through these bodies, bodies being these things that ex- exist continually. One of the early heresies in the Christian church uh, was Origenism, and one of the things with Origen was, uh, one of the things that really nobody really liked him about was when one was resurrected, their bodies would be spherical. And that was like the thing that was like, you know, why would you come back as a circle, right? What's the whole point if your whole body's not, you know, a human body? So here's my, my question, is this. If the body doesn't matter, why have one at all? So I, I never said the the body doesn't matter. Stefan said meat suit. That's true. So That's a good point. I, I, said, sh- I, sh- I, should, I should probably <laughs> give credit where credit I said too. biological robot. So I think that the energy uh, that, that makes you who you are, again, what some people would call as a soul, exists both in this physical plane, interacting through our android body, if you will, as well as outside of this physical plane somewhere else. And you get glimpses of that in people that have out-of-body experiences or the astral plane and things like that. Um, so they're using the your spirit energy, again, is using your body as a means to interact with the reality that you're experiencing. Just like you said, you're using the eyes to see. You're using the mouth to taste. But to what end? Why interact? Why have those experiences? And, again, I think it really comes down to the experience is to shape you. It's not to sh- necessarily to shape you in this plane. It's to shape you in the beyond plane, the further planes, the whatever you want to say. To what end? Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I do. I like Josh's analogy there that essentially the energy, the soul, is essentially the software for the body that is the computer. But much like you said, why would the energy interact that way outside of the body? Um, you know, I think about astral travel, you know, and things like that. They always show pictures of you uh, as yourself just glowing, right? But what if you were? What if you're just a sphere floating around or things like that? But I also wonder... You know, if uh, how long does something maintain the shape of something? I mean, we know uh, water, of course, won't maintain the shape of the glass that it's in if you pour it out, but Jello will, right? So, what if, what if energy after it after it leaves the body, the soul leaves the body, it does in a sense maintain that shape like a Jello mold for a while because it doesn't know what else to be. So, you know, maybe it is uh, we don't see that energy because it's so small or whatever, but maybe that is why we see a footprint or that is why we see what we see. Maybe it's still filling that mold that it feels like it needed to exist in because uh, it, it, it's lost. You know, they, a lot of times they say those spirits that are left behind didn't know where to go. They're a little lost or confused about being dead, uh, some things like that. So, yeah, maybe it's just maintaining that shape. I don't know. That's a, that's a good question, Ben. Something I'm going to be thinking about for a while. <laughs> well, why don't we suspend the uh, battle of the idealists uh, for just a moment here and uh, <laughs> let uh, Josh and Stefan tell us about their podcast and where people can find out more. Please. Yeah, so uh, Fearscape Paranormal Podcast, uh, you can go to fearscapepodcast.com. Uh, from there, you can listen, find all the places. You know, We're available anywhere you can listen to podcasts. Uh, we also have a YouTube channel called Fearscape Media. All of our podcast episodes are there. Um, and we also have a fo- podcast network called Fearscape Media Network. Uh, and that has all of our other podcasts. You can go to fearscapemedia.com and find them there. 
Right. And just like he had said uh, on that YouTube on the Fearscape Media there, we do have a show, uh, Astral Stew, that where we do we dig into more questions like Ben was asking, a lot of spiritual questions uh, that dig deeper into the paranormal side of things called Astral Stew. And it's a lot of fun. So with our, our guru, Santosh, he's a, he's a yogi and uh, he's a lot of fun. So, uh, yeah, FearscapeMedia.com or FearscapePodcast.com. Sounds great. And I've been on the Fearscape uh, Paranormal Podcast and it's, it, we had a wonderful time. It was a great, we show, loved great discussion. You. And, uh, okay, well, uh, moving from uh, philosophy perhaps to geotechnics, Mm. uh, we might ask, what do you think is the the power behind, what is the the, uh, unifying force, I suppose, or the power behind triangles uh, or flat barriers or whatever you want to call them? Is, Is there a unifying factor? Yeah, you know, that's a good question. So um, uh, the boys at Penny Royal Podcast, they're really good friends of ours if you haven't listened to that. Um, They're located in Somerset, Kentucky. Um, One of their defining theories, as is ours, kind of can be what's in the ground, you know. So one of the two biggest hot spots in the United States are around the Penny Royal area, which is central Kentucky, Somerset, Danville, all these different areas, and Sedona, Arizona. The two quantifying uh, factors that exist in both of those areas in the United States, the two highest deposits of quartz crystal are in Sedona and in the Penny Royal area of Kentucky. Hmm. And so, you know, and there is a lot of theories, of course, that quartz maintains psychic energy and different things like that uh, and could create portals. There's all kinds of. Well, and in the Hudson Valley uh, up in your all's neck of the woods is yeah. another really big hot spot area. Mm. There's a lot of quartz uh, in that area as well. And, you know, one of the things that I've noticed, and we, we watched uh, the documentary with, um, you get me on me all the time, Mark, Mark, Mark D'Antonio, D'Antonio in, uh, about the Hudson Valley, and they talk about how the um, gravity is different uh, in that valley. Well, our friends at Penny Royal to talk about the gravity being different in Sedona, in, in Sedona and Somerset. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there there are variances in what we consider, for the most part, pretty constant things like gravity, but there are variances there. And so, you know, maybe the Earth is just a big battery, if you will, uh, for a lot of this stuff to take place and happen. And almost like an, an attraction, if you will. It pulls it in. It's like an antenna or a beacon. Well, you mentioned Mark, uh, sort of a magic word on this. He's, he's a, one of our dearest friends and a... Uh, guest co-host of the show uh, from time to time, and we have talked about the Bouger anomaly. I think I mentioned that on your show too, which is I think what, what uh, is related to what you're talking about. And gravitational anomalies in these areas are very marked, and uh, we're still researching whether they're they're relevant or not. But the Hudson Valley, uh, our Litchfield, Connecticut triangle, where there's a yeah. huge Bouger anomaly has extended uh, about 350 square miles at this point into the Hudson Valley. And so uh, we really relate to what you're saying on that. Uh, ben, comments? Uh, no, I mean, it's, it's um, <clears throat> as, as people who have, well, not, I don't do geotechnics, um, but I, I, <laughs> I don't know, I can't, I can't, you can't survey an area, um, at least not yet anyway. But uh, yeah. the... <laughs> I, I could probably pay someone to do it. I do. I do know a couple of geotechnical services. But anyway, um, the it, it is interesting. It, it is a fun sort of parallel um, phenomena. It, it's interesting how a lot of this stuff seems layered and separate. Like it's different. Like it seems all kind of like separate, like little pieces of a puzzle. But really, it's kind of more like 
for, since we've been using a lot of fun analogies, uh, it's kind of like a pizza where like mm. it all kind of come comes together, right? You have your your layers, but they all kind of melt into everything else. So it's really kind of just one sort of thing that that doesn't really have layers yeah. so much as it is kind of a whole sort of pie, if you will. Well, that's where it and gets it complicated. Yeah. Uh, no, go ahead, Stefan. I'll just say it. It is. It, 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 and it's about you know John Keel used to talk about how um, people didn't know about these UFO flaps because people didn't go and look at grab all the UFO stories and look at them and look at the dates and times and do the type of research. Whereas we're just now starting to see some of this geological research really digging into these areas. I mean, Skinwalker Ranch, they're really starting to look at the mm. Um, mm. the metals and things that are underneath there or, or things that are happening there. Like that type of research is, needs to happen. We have um, a friend, Trey Hudson. I don't know if you're familiar with Trey Hudson and the Skinwalker Ranch of the South where he talks about the, the things that he's finding down in Georgia. But even they're beginning to start to look at some geological surveys to see what makes this crazy area that they have found with portals and, and creature sightings and things like that. Is it a natural occurrence or is it something like Montauk? What, did the government create some sort of occurrence? You yeah, know? right. All good questions. What are you fellas working on next? What cases do you have coming up? Uh, we, we, we are nonstop. Right now we're, we're in the process of, uh, working on a project we call Crossroads of the Paranormal, um, where we are, we're taking a very deep look at a lot of how these are all connected. We're working with our friend Santosh, digging into some of the spiritual sides of things and all of that, trying to see how it's all related. Uh, we are digging, Josh is going to be moving out to Arizona here in the next couple months, so we're going to be really hitting a lot of southwestern stuff uh, there, because there, of course, is quite a bit of, of UFO, Phoenix lights, uh, all sorts of stuff. We're meeting a lot of interesting folks. We're hoping to get up to Denver, of course, for the MUFON uh, Symposium, mm-hmm. uh, as well as we've been uh, told some really neat stuff in Boulder. Uh, just some really great – we're really digging into some hollow earth theories as well. We've gotten some mm-hmm. leads. We're going to be checking into some caverns and mines out in the southwest that we've been given some leads on. So be on the lookout for that next year into our investigations, hopefully underground. That sounds <laughs> really cool. Honestly, yeah. uh, that there there is – there's a lot of fascinating stuff in those minds. It's every time I, I read something about it, I'm like, holy crap, there's a, there's a lot going yeah, on well, out there. Arizona has the most mines anywhere in the country. There's over 2,000 uh, found mines right now. There are still more that they have not found. Um, there are over 2,000 mines. There, it is a very small cave system, so there's only a couple caves in the, around Tucson area and things like that. Most of the underground work is either a lava tube or old abandoned mines, and there's over 2,000 of them just in Arizona. Wow. It's amazing. Now, also, please give us the uh, that charity website again, please, for the tornado yeah, so that Yeah, that's Team WKY Relief Fund dot ky dot gov and again that it was set up by governor uh, andy Bashir. all of that money goes straight to help everyone and everything affected by those awful tornadoes and excellent as i said we're going to put probably more than one link on on the behind the paranormal.com website for that oh yeah for and sure folks can go to that so uh again our prayers and good wishes to them and and uh, i i'm also told that, that donating blood is very important at this point uh, because with the pandemic there was you know, shortages and all sorts of a mess. So yep. now it's an excellent time to do that. So we encourage people to do that. 
Well, fellas, uh, it's been just wonderful, and we'll be talking to you again soon. And good luck in the Southwest. That's an area we don't have a lot of reach. No, if only we could, but sadly we are constrained by New England. <laughs> well, uh, the geography and money and all good stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. But yep. uh, that's good. Uh, what we do, and I don't, you might, I don't know if you do anything like this, but our show has a spy network. Uh, th- th- that's how we, we cover uh, flap areas, you know, of such scope. And uh, they don't know each other in most cases, and, and they report to us. So it's kind of kind of cool, uh, sort of a CIA yeah. of the paranormal or something like that. Yeah, we do that as well. We've been really interested in Mount Shasta, so we've got our friend Olaf Phillips. Uh, oh, very good. He, yeah, he's out there. He's always like, all right, we, we're yeah. going to go. And I'm actually trying to meet up with him as well to go to Mount Shasta. So. Really cool. Okay, well, you can... Uh, Hang on if you want and hear the announcements and that good stuff. Or we, we can give you a, 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 a long goodbye, if you will. <laughs> yes. Yes, sir. So, Ben, take it away. Indeed. And so we have quite a few announcements, and we'll hop right into them. Uh, we look forward to the Supernatural Bowl. Uh, that's a debate on February 4th. That's in 2022, which is right around the corner at the Pine Bush UFO and Paranormal Museum in Pine Bush, New York, uh, into the uh, New England Parafest in Kittery, Maine, which uh, runs t- from uh, April 10th to the 26th, 2022. It's a couple months away. And then we'll provide more information as, the, as those dates approach. And after years of technical issues, uh, all uh, regular recorded radio broadcasts of Behind the Paranormal from CBS Radio, Chief Radio, and here on WON AM and FM have been restored in the archives at BehindTheParanormal.com. Also fully restored are the Return to Rendlesham series from 2010-2011 on CBS Radio and all related shows along with the Achieve Radio monthly two-hour specials. Uh, from 2009. So still working on restoring a couple of other special ones. Most of them are, are right there, and you can uh, go in and they're all free. Uh, you can also hear many of these broadcasts on the major podcast platforms, including iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. In addition, our show now, show now has its own app. It's very simple, but it's free. I mean, what do you want for nothing? Uh, right now, it is just of the most of the most recent past shows that we plan to add features as we go. It's not in the Apple and Google online stores yet. It's that is a nightmare to do. So, oh yeah, and you have to you have to go through like Dun and Bradstreet. I mean, how, what is that? I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't ask questions anymore. They, they, they think you want to sell it. Right. Yeah. Well, it's all for tax purposes and whatnot. Well, exactly. So anyway, uh, you can get it. At BehindTheParanormal.com, there's a link to the app, and you can just download it. And speaking of BehindTheParanormal.com, you can also check out our books along with those of our guest co-hosts at our show website. If you haven't heard it enough times, it's BehindTheParanormal.com, where you can also find out more about the show, our many cases over the years, our public appearances, and how to book us, along with our, our some 900-plus free recorded shows, now restored as my dad mentioned. Uh, that's BehindTheParanormal.com. And uh, for those who celebrate, we want to wish everyone a very Merry Christmas coming up this week. And what do we have for next week's show, Ben? So next week uh, we have coming out of the refrigerator and sitting on the counter defrosting, which hopefully doesn't take too long. Don't want salmonella. Tales from the Vault uh, is going to be our rebroadcast. Uh, that's our show number 908 on December 26th. Uh, so we will be taking the day off for Christmas. But it is our one and, uh, one and only John Zaffis interview. So that's a, that's a lot of fun. We'll be replaying that. Okay. Uh, we leave you today with a thought from person or persons unknown. The most important things in life aren't things. 
So I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno. And thanks for joining us on our cosmic journey, and we shall see you next time on Behind the Paranormal. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.